Hello and welcome to another episode of Daf Shvui, Weekly Daf. Give me 40 minutes or so, and I'll give you a Daf. Today is Rosh Chodesh Tammuz, the first day of the month of Tammuz, which signifies in the Jewish calendar the beginning of summer, or for me at least, leading into the, the period in which the outside world and the calendar kind of fit together, especially here in Los Angeles, Ira Kodesh. It's hot. It's dry, kind of desert-like. There's a certain depressing air about it. Unless you go down to the beach, then it's not so depressing. But we're also moving into the part of the Jewish year, which is depressing. We're moving towards the three weeks of mourning leading up to Tisha B'Av, when we remind ourselves and record the destruction of the temple and all the bad things in Jewish history. And those things have been understood as as a marking day, or that day, the day of the ninth of Ab, as a day to mark the falling apart of the possibility of creating an ethical polity, a justice, a just, a righteous community. And we have to face that before we can move on to Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and embrace the possibility of righteousness, of atonement, of being good people. But first we have to face this, and so as if to mark the beginning here in Los Angeles, the sheriff, who seems to think that his job is just to enforce the law towards those he wants to, but to not have to obey the law himself, made a big show of going down to the Venice boardwalk and attempt to say, hey, look, homeless people, houseless people, I'll fix that problem. And then he proceeded to harass homeless people and not do anything to help them. This is the same man who's been tolerating gangs in the sheriff's department and harassing uh, deputies who harass the families of people who've been shot by the sheriff's department and on and on. We call him the Trumpiest sheriff in the country. But anyway, we have to face that. We have to face our legacy of racism and the continued existence of systemic racism and the carceral system before we can get to the possibility of redemption and liberation. There's a great Torah, which I love, which says that the Messiah was born on Tisha B'Av. Messiah was born on the day of the destruction. Liberation only comes out of the depths of destruction, meaning that only when one faces the evil in the world, the injustice that we, perhaps ourselves, have been culpable in perpetrating, can we see the way towards liberation. First, we have to do the hard work of facing injustice. Okay, there we go. End of today's sermon. (laughs) Anyway, it's beautiful here. We just got out. It seems like we finished June gloom. We're moving into June. Yay! And we're on Bavabacha 67A in the typeset that was originally started by the widow and the brothers Ram in Vilna, lo these 150 years ago. I always say that awkwardly. I'm not sure why. I'm not sure what's a better way to say it. They were the ones who first published this. They were the ones who first set out this they weren't the first ones who set out this, as we've said before, as we've talked about before. They weren't the first ones who set out 
this page, but they set it out in this way, and then it immediately became that which was given to Moses at Sinai. There was earlier printings of the page with both Rashi and Tosod on them, but not in this specific manner. So if anybody has a kind of concise way to say the page that was first published by the widow and the brothers Ram, please uh, tell me about it at thewidowandthebrothers at gmail.com. Seriously, that's an actual email address. Okay, I am Aryeh Cohen, and I am so happy to welcome you into this Beit Midrash. So we're going to start with the Mishnah. We're continuing with the question and discussion and analysis of when you buy X, what do you buy with it, and what don't you buy with it? In other words, how much, what does X actually mean in terms of buying and selling? And uh, today is going to be a little, like, behind-the-scenes look at how a sugya gets put together. A little bit. All right, Mishnah. Hamocher et hachatzer, one who sells the courtyard, machar batim borot shichin umearot abolohat hamitaltelin. So the seller who sold the courtyard sold in the sale he had he either intended to sell or the sale includes houses in the courtyard, cisterns, places to keep water, caves, other kind of underground water hold places to hold water or storage places, but not movable objects. But when the seller says, I am selling you the courtyard and everything that's in it, so then everything's sold, even the movable objects. In any event, the seller does not sell a bathhouse that's in the courtyard, nor an olive press or press that's in the courtyard. Rebelezer has the radical opposite position, says one who sells the courtyard only sells the space of the courtyard. That's it. The buyer only gets the courtyard itself. That's it. He doesn't get anything that's in it. That sale does not include anything that's in it. And there is a question then, why is that true? So the, uh, and one of the things that's pointed out by some of the Rishonim, thinking of the Rashba and the Yad Ramah, for example, point out that even though Barot, Shechin, and Ma'arot, right, cisterns and water receptacles dug into the ground, long ones, and underground water receptacles are not sold together with the house. They are all sold together with the chatzer, right? We saw in the beginning, in, earlier in the Mishnah, that one who sells a house does not sell the cistern, etc. But they are sold together with the courtyard. The Rashba says that this is because one of the purposes of the courtyard, as we saw earlier in the Gemara, is to do laundry, right? The two partners who bought a courtyard cannot stop each other from doing laundry in the courtyard. We had on in the late 20s, like 29A, I think. So the water cistern, etc., are for the washing and structures like a house are for the drying the laundry. In other words, that all the structures that it, these structures, right, the houses, the, the where they keep the water are all things that are necessary for laundry. And laundry is one of the functions of the courtyard. So therefore, those are sold together. The Yad Ramah has a wider principle in that when one buys a courtyard, they obviously are buying it for anything that can happen in a courtyard. And that includes all the structures that are part of the courtyard. This, of course, excludes the bathhouse and the olive press. However, he says that the metaltalin, the movable objects, are separate objects, which are neither dependent on on the courtyard for their existence and 
they are identifiable independent of this courtyard, and so the courtyard has no claim on them. In other words, if you see your kid's little red wagon away from the courtyard, that is still a little red wagon. It has nothing to do with the courtyard. It's not dependent on the courtyard, as opposed to a cistern in the courtyard is is a something that is part of the courtyard. The Rimagash, another medieval Spanish Rishon, who was actually Rambam's, Maimonides' father's teacher, he says that the reason that bathhouses and mills are not uh, are not included is because they are not usually found in a courtyard, right? So if you happen to have a bathhouse or a mill in the courtyard, that's an exceptional case, an exceptional thing. And so therefore, obviously, you're not going to sell the bathhouse and the mill when you sell the courtyard. Okay, so that is the Mishnah. It's not Rabbanan. There is a text, which is either a Brita or a Mishnah, and we'll get back to the technicalities of this. This is going to be part of a little looking behind the scenes thing. So one who sells a courtyard sells both the outer house and the inner house, and that means the houses, and we'll see the houses that open up into the courtyard and the houses that open up out of the courtyard. Ubeta chulsaot, and the chulsaot is actually a, a word which everybody has a hard time, meaning everybody, meaning starting with the, the medievals, have a hard time uh, translating, and a lot of them think it has comes from chul, and that all the way down to the contemporary interpreters, chul sand. So beta chulsaot is a place they keep sand in order to uh, make it into glass. So those things are sold with the chatzer, with the courtyard. Chanuyot p'tuchot letochanim karot ima, stores, in other words, they, uh, buildings that are used for various various functions, like selling stuff, that are opened into the courtyard are sold with the courtyard. And those that are not open, that don't open into the courtyard, but just like border on the courtyard and open toward the, the public domain so that you could sell your wares in the public domain, are not sold together with the courtyard. But if they have an opening onto the courtyard and an opening onto the public domain, so they are sold with the courtyard. Rebelezer says one who sells the courtyard only sells the space of the courtyard itself. Right? And uh, Milusa, this is Avramai, says this is a, uh, what he calls, um, not a, a Chilufei Gersa, but a Shinui Milim, right? Just, it's a different, it's a synonym that's used. So you find, it's not as if there was a mistake in one, but you have synonyms which are used in, in different things. So it's the same thing, the air of the Chatzer in the Mishnah, Avirash al-Chatzer here is Milusa shel-Chatzer, also means the air of the courtyard. Amarar. Okay, we go on. So we saw here in the Brayta that if the, the if these uh, stores, these chanuyot, are open both into the courtyard and into the public domain, they are sold together. But, however, we have a Brayta that Rabbi Chia teaches where it says they are not sold together. They're not sold with it. Lakasha. That's not a problem. Rabbi Chia is saying that this is a question, there's a difference between 
whether or not its major function is towards the courtyard or levar to the outside. Its major function is towards the Rishut Rabim, the public domain. The one whose main function is towards the public domain is not sold together with it. The main, the store's main function is inside to the private domain is sold with it. Now here, just a little bit of a look behind the scenes here. We have, so this Snorah Banan, as a, an introductory term, introduces either Mishnah or Brita. Those Brita are sometimes found in the Tosefta. Now, Rabbi Chia is credited, traditionally, with having his own collection of Brita. And the phrase Tzni Rabbi Chia is different than Snorah Banan, as we see here. And the reason is because Rabbi Chia's, this is what Yaakov Nachum Epstein says in his Mavola Nusacha Mishnah, very important collection of his, it's actually notes on his lectures on Mishnah, given at Hebrew University, and put together and published by his student Ayin Sadi Malamed, one of the greatest Talmudists of the 20th century, mid 20th century. So he says that, so his claim is, and, and that's backed up with this little exchange here, is that we have bright out that we find only in the Babylonian Talmud, right? These things that purport to be earlier Tanitic texts, we find only in the in the Babylonian Talmud, and they are introduced by either Tznor Rabbanan or Tzni, right? Tzni Rabichia, right? Those are terms that will introduce these types of Bright out. And there's a difference between those two because the we see that in that Rabichia, when it says Tsni Rabichia, the whole point here is that it's a Hatni, that Rabichia's version is different. He says Ainim Karotima about these stores that are open both inside and out, whereas the brightest says Nim Karotima that they are sold with it together. And so we have here what's going on is that the the Mishnah. We have a Mishnah, and we have an accumulation around the Mishnah. We have this first Brita, and then the Stam says, oh my God, look, we have another Brita, another version of that same Brita, and so we have to figure out how to put them all together. And so we, the Stam distinguishes between Rebchia's version of the Brita, Enim Karotima, which he says that you, you don't sold together, and the Bavli's other, the Brita, the other Brita that the Bavli knows, the Babylonian Talmud knows, which says that they are sold together. So the Stam then draws this distinction of those whose major, fun- major function is towards the courtyard and those whose major function is towards the outside, the public domain. Okay, we're going to move on a little bit, and then we're going to go back a little bit also. So we'll see. We're going to go forward and back. Next line, so we're going to go on in the Gemara. Let's explain the next line in the Mishnah. Rabbi Lezer says, one who sells the courtyard only sells the heir of the courtyard. That's the last line in the Mishnah. Remember we just said, Milusa is the last line in the the Babylonian Brita, Amar Raba. Now here we have a, all of the Rishonim seem to have the Girsa Rava, the Yad Ramah, the Meiri, well, not the Meiri, because the Meiri doesn't name the Amaraim, but uh, we do have manuscripts which go here and there, and the manuscripts actually change the first two, Ar- Rava, we'll see later that when it's Rava and the name of Rav Nachman, which makes sense because Rav Nachman was Rava's teacher, but 
So here it's not clear from the context whether it should be Rabba or Rava, and it doesn't actually make that much difference in this context here. Even though Rava is our hero from the previous chapter, but in this chapter, it's not so much Rava. So we don't know. And Rava and Rabba are those things, just like phonetically in English, they're not that far apart. So uh, there's lots of problems in which one is which. So we'll we'll stick with Amar Rabba. Ida Amar Dirata. So if the seller said dirata, right, when you sold the chatzer, if he said dirata, so everybody agrees that it means that it implies also houses, bate, the houses, kipligi, right? And the reason for that, why does dirata include houses? Because dirata is actually a place to live, a mador, so therefore it is houses, it includes the houses. However, kipligi, when is the dispute to Amalai Darta? When he didn't say dirata, but rather he says darta, because darta just means a courtyard. And there's a place where the, the Rashbam tells us that the Unculus, the Aramaic translation of Torah, uses the word darta to translate chatzer. Mar savar tarbitza marshma umar savar. Bate mashma. So one holds that darta just means the chater, the courtyard, tarbitza, the place of hanging out and resting. It's like rovates and uh, is where like cattle just hangs out. So tarbitza, just the place. Marsavar bate mashma. And and the other person says bate houses, or actually the one of the manuscripts, the, one of the better manuscripts, the Scorial manuscript has bay didari dairei bay inche houses where people live. And that's what, so that's the difference. But that's the machloket, whether darta means just a space or just a place where people, where, in which there are houses where people live. Ikadamri, there's another version of this exchange. Amaraba, ida amar le darta de kuliamala pligi de bate mashma, right? Start out the same way, except it's darta. If they say, if he said to him, darta, I'm selling you darta. So everybody agrees that it means houses. The houses are included. What's the, the dispute? It's when he says, I am going to sell to you a courtyard, and, and the manuscript adds, chatzer. stop. When he just says, I'm going to sell you the courtyard, the chatzer. So one person says, the chatzer just means, actually it implies air. That's it, just the space. And the other one says, no. Chatzer, courtyard, implies like the courtyard of the tabernacle or the courtyard of the temple, in which, just as the courtyard of the Mishkan, of the tab- the tabernacle, had various buildings in it, such as the Holy of Holies, the Sanctum Sanctorum, and the Kodesh HaKodeshim, which are then part of the Chatzer, so too here. And also, just to point out, once again, we're going back to the Mishkan, right? We're going, we're, we're just going on, merrily on our way, talking about buying land, houses, courtyards, and bam, we're back to temple. Just like we started the Masechet with with the story on temple and 3B for it. Every once in a while, we move back to discussions of temple just falling in. And here, once again, we have the notion of temple, that any type of land, any type of access or buying land, there is someplace in the back of the rabbi's mind, Eretz Yisrael, the land of Israel, the temple, and it's Dafka, it's specifically in exile and in diaspora, not in the land of Israel. So all that is interesting. 
but we'll leave that for now. The Amar Rava Amar Rav Nachman. Here we're going to go with Rava because Rav Nachman was Rava's teacher, so it makes sense that Rava said this over in the name of Rav Nachman. However, one of the manuscripts doesn't have Rav Nachman, so that of course complicates it once again as we as we want to. But the manuscript that doesn't have Rav Nachman still has Rava, so we're going to go with Rava. Somebody sells their friend a sandy place and a small lake, a river bottom. If the person takes possession of the sandy place, did not at the same point take possession of the river bottom. And a person takes possession of the, the waterway, does not take possession of the sandy place. Now, the sandy place could be a number of things. Um, and Shaul Lieberman says it's not just, you know, most of Rishonim say it's just like sand in order to make glass out of. But he says there's more. It's it's also a place that people would go on hikes. It's a place that you lay out clothing on. It's There's different functions to it, but it's very different than the Mitsula. Mitsula Tiam, like uh, it's a place which is a, a kind of a river bottom. So Rava is saying that these two things, you if you acquire one, you don't acquire the other. And if we remember earlier in the park, we had this notion of what do you buy when you buy? Right at the end of the last part, what do you buy when you buy? Well, can you buy one thing, especially with Nixay Hager, the convert, the uh, convert who owned lots of different properties and then died? If you acquire one, do you get all of them or not? As opposed to a Jew, if you acquire one, do you get all of them or not? Okay. So here, that's kind of the same question. If you're acquiring both the sandy place and the riverbed, if you just made a chazakah, if you just acquired one, make it, made an acquisition, an act of acquisition on one, do you get both of them? And Rav is saying, no, you don't. You have to make an act of acquisition on both of them. Ini, so the Stam says, is that true? Shmuel says, though, if you buy 10 fields in 10 different provinces, since you made an act of acquisition on one of them, you have acquired all of them. So that would seem to, to contradict this notion that if you acquire one, you don't acquire the other. All right, so... The answer is, this time answer is, Hatam, who distinguishes between these 10 lands and this uh, uh, Mitsula and the Chulsit, says, Hatam, who desadna da'arachadu, u'kulachadtashmishtahu. So the difference is that there, meaning in the case that Shmuel is saying, of the 10 different land, ten different fields, they are all, now sadna da'ara is kind of the, sadna is like the base. So perhaps it means it's like the, they're all ultimately attached to the ground, right? They're all the same kind, or it could be that they're all the same form of land, and that's why this added gersa here in our in our printed editions, kula chad tashmisha, that they all have the same function, they're all to, to grow stuff. Abel hacha, but here, meaning with the Chulsit, which is sandy land, and the Mitsula, which is kind of a waterway. They have two different functions, so therefore, when you buy one, you don't automatically buy the other. When you make an act of acquisition of one, you don't acquire the other. And there are those who read this differently, who have a different take on this exchange. We're going to go again with Rava here, because it's Rav Nachman's student. Rav said in the name of Rav Nachman, 
החזיק בחוסית, קנה מצולה. רב הסדר נחמן, that if one makes an act of acquisition on the sandy part, so then they, they also bought the waterway. רב שלימן actually makes an interesting comment that these חוסית and the מצולה are near each other because in Greco-Roman times there, um, in the Hellenistic times there, people would work out on the sandy part that they'd go on a tule, and then they dunk into the water. So there's some relation between them. So if you, if you acquire one, you make an acquisition on the other. Pshita! So the stamp says, isn't that obvious? Tamar Shmuel, Machalo Eser Sadot. And they quote Shmuel, who says about the 10 fields, that if you have 10 fields in 10 different lands, you make an act of acquisition on one, you acquire them all. So, so why do you need us to say it again? It's the same thing as Shmuel. So you should actually, right, in this version, Shmuel is not a contradiction, but Shmuel is a support. And not only a support, it makes it redundant since Shmuel is around earlier. So, or Hachi Hashta. There are two different, there's a Girsa Hachi Hashta and another here now. Or Maudetem, what would you have thought? Hatam who this Sadna Dara Chadu. So you would have thought that in the case that Shmuel brings of the ten fields, that they are all part of the same, they're all part of the same foundation. They're all part, they all have the same function. Vikani, the manuscript adds, and, and therefore you acquire them. But here, where one's function is, they're two, they have two very different functions, so say no, that they, you don't acquire it. Kamash Malan comes to teach us that also, in the case of the Chulsa, Chusit, and the Mitsula, the sandy place, and the waterway, you do acquire it. This week's podcast is brought to you by our friends at Plugta, the original social conflict consultancy. Ever wonder how to resolve those awkward social situations where you are throwing a party and you invite one person, but you meant to invite another person? And you really liked the one person, but you ended up inviting the person you really hated? Because their names were really close, and your fingers are really fat, and they hit the wrong name, and then you left a message, and the wrong guy came to the party, and now what do you do? Well, let me tell you. Plugta was created for just those situations. With their patent-pending Compton bar Compton method and their JBID solutions, that is, just burn it down, you won't have to worry about these situations anymore. You will be able to enjoy your parties without the pesky people who just want to poop on your party. And the best thing is, the JBID solutions give you maximal deniability, so when things go south, you aren't even there. And now, for listeners of this podcast, a special offer. If you contact us through our website, www.plukta.com slash dafshui, you get half off on your first social disaster. That's www.plukta.com dafshui. Okay. Before we go to the next mission, all right, we're accomplishing a lot. We have a bunch of mission out. We're actually going to do two more mission out. So I just want to go back and, and, and ask, like, what's going on here a little bit? So we saw that one thing we saw is, is that there, the, the Stam is trying to move between and harmonize different brightout, which refer to the same thing. So you have the Mishnah, different Tanitic materials. You have the Mishnah, and then on the Mishnah you have a brighta, And then on that brighta you have another version of the brighta, which is in Rebbechia's collection of Brightot, and that's how it's put together. Now, what's interesting is that if you take a look at the Yerushalmi, has a completely different thing. It seems that Yerushalmi on these Mishnayot is, has, or the Bavli on these Mishnayot has no idea what the Yerushalmi is doing. Yerushalmi's move seems to be much more straightforward. Um, so let's uh, go through the Yerushalmi quickly. Rabbi Yitzchak Sha'al, so Rabbi Yitzchak, 
a Palestinian Amara, asks, Al Daite di Rabban, and according to the sages, right, according to the first part of the Mishnah, um, where uh, the first part of the Mishnah, just to, to, to remind yourselves, if one sells a, a courtyard, sells the houses or structures and the, the cisterns, all the kind of the water things, but not the movable objects. So Rebutzlok asks, according to this opinion, if he sells a courtyard generically, so does he sell also the movable objects or not? Right? And he asked according to, and Rebutzlok also asked according to the latter opinion, the opinion of Rebutzlok, who says that one who sells the courtyard only sells the space of the courtyard. If he sells him the courtyard generically without saying anything else, he only sold him the space. But when at the time when he says it and everything that's in it, does that include only the houses and the places to keep water, but not the movable objects, or even the movable objects, according to Rebelezer. So these two questions are, are interesting and disturbing. Um, disturbing. Ah, not that disturbing. I'm not going to have nightmares. But they're problematic, because especially since the Mishnah seems to say, lo that you sell it, but avalo and that is the language of the Mishnah. You don't sell the movable objects. And yet, Rebbe is asking, but do you sell the movable objects? So it could be that actually Rabbi Yitzchak had a different version of our Mishnah that said, and didn't have and didn't have but not there's no other explanation that, that I could come up with with why he has there's some people who want to change the Girsa the version variant in the Yerushalmi and add some other kind of irrelevant word instead of immovable of, of movable objects but it seems that this is just a straightforward question of what does the Mishnah mean according to the Tanakhama according to the first opinion and what does the Mishnah mean according to Rebel Ezer is Rebel Ezer's uh, and and again dependent on there not being metaltalin there right because uh, the Mishnah goes on says one who sells the courtyard doesn't sell the metaltalin, doesn't sell the doesn't sell the movable objects. But if he says who kolmashibetocho, they are all sold. Everything is sold. So according to Rebelezer, he's asking. Rebelezer says he just sold the space. If he says it and everything that's in it, does that include the movable objects? So again, it's dependent on there not being movable objects in the first part of the mission. I think. Amr Rabbi Yochanan goes on. Rabbi Yochanan, another a Palestinian Amora, says, When I came from Beit Levi, or I brought it from Beit Levi, from the house of the Academy of Levi, and that, according to at least the Pnei Moshe, means that I brought it, and I am clear about the Mishnah. So if there were there courtyards that were open into the courtyard, or I imagine the structures were open into the courtyards, so they are sold. If they're open towards the outside, they are not sold. But if they're both inside and outside, they are all sold. So he's basically saying, so the first part, he's saying two comments, perhaps. One, 
I'm not, uh, I, I have clarity on what you're saying, and it's just like the Mishnah says. And the second is that the, the question of the Chanuyot, the stores which are open to in, inside and outside, what happens with them? Um, and he goes, and his opinion there is just like the Breita, the Tosefta that we see, that we saw commenting on the Mishnah in the Bavli. Okay. So that's what we have there. And so, but it seems that the Yushalmi has no, has a completely different agenda than the Bavli. And it was just asking, what does this Mishnah mean? Which brings us to the next Mishnah. Okay, so now we're getting into the technical details of olive presses. One who sells a press sells the yam. And these are all things that are going to be explained in the Gemara. But the yam seems to be the weight that's pushed down on the olives in order to press them. The mamal is a something that breaks, smashes the olives. And the bitsulot are the beams of wood that you put the heavy beam on top of. Now, if you have in your mind a picture of an olive press that's great, you could also kind of Google olive press late antiquity and you get a picture of an olive press. But you have a stone base, which has a, a circular stone base, which has a path, a groove in the top of it. And in the middle of it is a, a drain, a hole that the, the liquid drains out into. You have a stone, which is a vertical stone, which is like a wheel, but vertical, which has a hole in the middle. And in that hole, a wooden beam goes, and that beam is connected to a uh, some kind of a joust or a pole in the middle of the where the drain is, in the middle of that bottom area. And so that a donkey or a person can move the beam around, and when he moves the beam around, the wheel rolls over the olives, which are on top of the bottom part, and then it crushes them, and the oil comes out of it. Okay, so those are the parts of an oil press, or a wine press, the same thing. Okay, so but you sell, so the things that you see, the distinction here that we're going to see is that the distinction between things that are affixed to the press and things that aren't. So the things that are affixed to the press which is the yam, the mamal, and the batulot, are sold with them. That is the, 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 the weight and the thing that smashes the press, the, the wheel, I guess, is that, and the beams that hold the wheel. But one doesn't sell those things which are not affixed. So if you have a, the kav, the, the avirim are like things to put on top of the, the olives so that they are pressed down more. So there are weights that you can take away. The galgal is a roller and the kara is the, the beam that's put in the wheel. So that can be taken out, I guess. But when a person says it and everything that's included with it, with the, the, the press, um, they are, everything is sold. Rebelezer says one who sells a press sells the beam. And that seems to make sense because how do you move things around? It seems to not work without the beam. There's also a press which is not a press 
that has a wheel rolling around, but a press that's just about leveraging using the beam to and putting weights on the edge of the beam so that it's it's pressing down rather than rolling over. It's pressing down on top of that hand that's that's the universal signal for pressing down on top of. And so it's pressing down on the olives or the grapes because of the weight on it. Okay, so now the Gemara is going to go through and is going to translate all these words from Hebrew to Aramaic, and I'm going to translate the Hebrew into English and then the Aramaic into English, and it's going to seem totally redundant. Here we go. Yam, this weight. Talpacha. Talpacha literally is a lentil-like object, a heavy lentil-like object. So it looks like a, a lentil, but it's very heavy to put down on top of of the olives in order to, to press them out. Mamal, Amarab Ababar Mamal, the... Irony there is not lost. So what is a mamal? Rav Abba, who's the son of mamal, says, mafrachta, it is a uh, something that smashes the olives, like the wheel that goes around, the stone wheel, a bit too low. Rabbi Yochan klunso shel erez shemamidin behem et The betulot are smaller beams of cedar that you place the one cedar beam on top of in a, a press which works with weights, and then you put weights on one end and you leverage the beam. Avirim, kavshi, and avirim, which you don't sell, which are not sold with it because they're not a fixed avirim, are kavshi, things that weights that you put on top of the olives to weight them down. Galgal, humrata, a wheel is... Surprisingly enough, a wheel. Korah, korah, and a korah, surprisingly enough, is a korah, a beam. It's no Rabbanan. Okay, so here we have, going to introduce another version of this Mishnah and the guise of some manner of Brita. Hamocher Beitabad, one who sells the press. Machar et Nisarim. Vetayikevim, vetamafrechot, vetarechayim. So one who sells the press sells the nisarim. Now here in nisarim, the, the medievals are not in unison about this, but the, it could be that nisarim are is like a mesh that holds in the olives that when the wheel goes around, they don't jump out. So we'll go with that. Betiyakavim, those are the containers that gather the oil, the juice. Betamafrechot, the things that smash the olives. Betarechayim, the stones. The lower stones, but not the upper stone. But when he says to him, the mill and everything that's in it, everything is sold. In any event, he doesn't sell the, the, the avirim, which are the weights that are weighted down on top of the olives and not the uh, kind of places that you collect the 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 uh, oil or the the extra stuff. Rebelezer Omer Mocher Beitabad Macharat Korash Lonekra Beitabad El Shum Al Shum Koran. Rebelezer says that when one sells the press, one one sells the olive beam, in other words the olive beam which is used to to press the press, because the press is only called a press because of the beam, right? Because it's a beam that weighs down on the olives. All right, we finished the second Mishnah. Just want to stress that the difference between the selling of the, and this Mishnah between those things which are included and those which are not is whether or not things are permanently affixed and those that are movable. All right. So that's the whole principle.
The details are just details. I mean, if you were up in Brooklyn, if you go up in a place where there are olive presses on a regular basis, then they probably mean a lot more. Okay, so now we're going to the next Mishnah, Mocher Temerchatz, one who sells the bathhouse. Lo machar tenisarin v'tesfalin v'tabalaniot. One who sells the bathhouse does not sell the planks of wood on the floor that one stands on, right? And it, bathhouses underneath the planks of wood are possibly the places where they keep the flames or where the uh, water pipes go through to be heated. One does not sell the sifalin, like the cups, but the you know that you use to take the water and pour the water over yourself, whether it's hot water or cold water. That's a balaniot. Now, balaniot, so they're, they're, most of the medievals actually have vilaot, but balaniot, a balanit, is apparently a uh, kind of a towel that you use to dry off. Vilaot are screens that you use. And both of them, the point of it is that all these things are not things that are integrally tied to the bathhouse. They are things that are movable and can easily be taken away. And the time when, when, when you sell it, when the seller says, it and everything that's in it, so it is all sold. In any event, you don't sell the places that you, the, the water reserve, places, the places that you, you gather the water, and you don't sell the things that uh, you use to keep the, 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 wood in, the wood in to heat, to feed the fire. So whatever kind of basket that's used for that, you don't, that's not included in the sale. So the Gemara says, Tznarabanan, again, introducing a, a Babylonian Brita, probably a, a, either a Brita or a Mishnah, we don't know. We don't have it any other place. A mocher et tamerchatz, if one sells a bathhouse, mocher et beta nisarim, ved beta yikamin, ved beta svalim, ved beta vilaot, avalo et nisarim atzman, velo yikamin atzman, velo svalim atzman, velo vilaot atzman. So if one sells the bathhouse, one then sells actually the place, the permanent place where the planks are kept and where the scoops or the, uh, the, Cups are kept to pour the water and where the screens are kept, but not those things themselves, not the planks or the scoops or the drapes themselves. Right? So in other words, because the, 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 th- the place that they're kept is part of the bathhouse. But if you, the seller says the bathhouse and everything that's in it, so everything is sold. In any event, he doesn't sell the reservoir which uh, whose water feeds the bathhouse. That's not part of it. Whether it's in the the uh, hot season or the rainy season, and neither does he sell the large storage house where he keeps the wood. But if he says to him, the bathhouse and all of its associated things, I sell you, so everything is sold. So the difference between kind of the metatlin, things that are not affixed, and also there are things that are beyond it, which are not part of it, like not necessarily part of it, like where the water is kept, where they, so that you could open up the spigot and water, more water will come in, or where the 
wood is kept, like a large house of wood, not like a little basket that you have inside. And that's different than also the movable objects, which are found inside the bathhouse, but they're not an essential part of the bathhouse. And that's the distinction between what is the bathhouse and what is those other things that are not part of the bathhouse. Some, same thing as with the mill and with the courtyard and with the house, what is essentially a part of it. And those are legal definitions, which in a sense are, are based on some sort of a theoretical distinction. Okay, we've come to the end of our DAF. It's been a pleasure. I'm so happy you joined me for this time. Uh, my name is Aryeh Cohen. You can follow me on Twitter at Irmiklat, I-R-M-I-K-L-A-T. I want to, as always, thank my wonderful Chavruta, Charlotte van Robert, my amazing producer, Ellie Unger-Sargon. Please check out his podcast, Four Cubits with Jeff Helmreich. And, of course, my comms chief, communications chief, Shachar Kohenhodes, who is responsible for the wonderful logo for Daf Shui. It's been a pleasure being with you for this time. If you want to get in touch with me, please do so at thewidowandthebrothers at gmail.com. Remember, we are the only Daf Shui podcast in the top 60 Jewish podcasts. And if you go to Safaria to get the daf, which is linked in the in the um, podcast page. Kick them a few shekels just to say, hey, because it's a pro bono operation. And uh, there you go. Be safe, be well, be healthy. Come back again next week. Bring a friend. Shabbat shalom. Chodesh tov.